Welcome to Mill Liberty, the voice of liberty for a new generation. Alright, Joe Walsh, Matt Kitty, John Sasso, welcome to Mill Liberty. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Hey, Caleb, I mean this. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invite. This week, we are going to be going over the myths and realities that surround monopolies. Teddy Roosevelt hated, hated small government. The gateway into space will help alleviate a lot of this problem. It was a fateful era we took 100 years ago with this kind of monopolization of banking and centralization of money and credit. Automation, streamlined productivity, and cost-effectiveness. There's two big government parties, and one of them is, is red and one of them is blue. We are creating a community of liberty lovers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Mill Liberty Podcast. It is so good to have you. Uh, I hope you didn't miss uh, last week's, or I guess this past Monday's edition, since I was out sick last week, and uh, I wasn't able to secure a uh, a guest host for the week, um, so we just pushed it back to Monday. It was with Joshua Smith, who's running for the um, Libertarian Chair of the, the Libertarian Party. Um, very good interview, and I highly encourage you to check that one out. This week, we have a really good treat for you. Um, this week, we are joined by none other than Congressman Justin Amash. Uh, I am very excited to to bring you this interview with, uh, with Congressman Amash. We talk about a wide array of subject matter. Um, we particularly focus on uh, foreign policy and how the president has been um, exercising his executive authority a little bit too loosely. Uh, and I think he brings up a lot of really fascinating and really good points um, that anyone of a liberty mentality needs to hear and needs to consider. So with that being said, um, there's not going to be that much of a monologue or an opening uh, segment because the interview is going to be the show for today. Um, I am very excited to provide to you this interview with Congressman Justin Amash. All right, Congressman Amash, uh, welcome to the program. It is uh, good to have you on. Uh, it's it's been some time uh, some time coming that we've been trying to get you on here, but obviously congressional schedules can get very busy and hectic. Um, so it's good to finally have you. Hey, Caleb. Uh, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. So uh, you are quite the talk of of the town lately, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Um, it's certainly putting uh, a lot of uh, people who wouldn't normally be exposed to the ideas of liberty and, and uh, getting them to think about some of these ideas a lot. The first thing I want to go over here with you is that um, in uh, July, I believe it was, you became the sole independent um, the, the sole independent vote in the House of Representatives. I want to know, in the six months or so since you've done that, how has that affected you both positively and negatively um, going around either in votes or trying to you know, get certain things that um, you would like to see happen? Um, how has that affected you? It's been almost entirely positive. Um, I think to the extent there's anything negative, it's that people haven't seen it before, so they're not sure um, how it works. 
they've never seen it in practice. Um, certainly in our district and in a lot of places throughout the country. You know, you have a couple of independent senators who are basically independent in name only. Um, they, they caucus with the Democrats, but you haven't really seen uh, a totally independent member of Congress. And, um, and so that creates um, uh, an unusual uh, situation, but it's been almost entirely positive. And uh, when I go around the district, people have been very supportive. I feel uh, more support from constituents today than ever before. My colleagues are very supportive. Um, I have uh, very good relationships with members on both sides. And uh, if anything, the relationships have improved since becoming an independent. The Republicans, um, frankly, are more willing to have conversations with me, are less upset about the fact that I vote differently from them on certain issues. And the Democrats are more trusting and uh, more willing to run things by me and, and, um, and confide in me about certain things. So I, I've been very pleased with it overall. And um, I, I wish representatives would take this approach um, throughout the country. I, I wish it were not just me, but all sorts of representatives um, fighting as independent representatives for their constituents and, and uh, following the Constitution rather than just following party leaders. Has it, has it been, um, was there any sort of challenges that you haven't uh, expected in your, in your district? Like have, have people generally been fairly positive or have there been um, a few setbacks? Obviously the structure of the way that elections are sort of unfortunately set is that it's in favor of the two party system. So I imagine that's probably a little bit of a challenge. Um, but other than that, have there been any setbacks in district for you? Not really. I mean, you'll hear about big donors who um, will no longer support me, but that was expected. And um, those big donors have never been a huge part of my um, overall donations. You know, um, I've always had a lot of support from small donors, uh, from people throughout the district and, and even throughout the country. So uh, in terms of that, um, I'm just fine, you know, and, and people who are very diehard Republican Party loyalists are not going to support me, and, and that's okay. Um, I, I, I'm not looking for their support. I'm looking for the majority of the population who are pretty independent-minded and care more about the character of their representative than the uh, political affiliation. Um, so things have been, have been really good, um, and as I go throughout the district, I definitely get more positive feedback now than ever before. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, by a lot of the stuff from uh, Democrats in the district, but also Republicans in the district who um, I wouldn't have necessarily expected to be as supportive as, as they've been. Has uh, obviously back in, in December, uh, the, the impeachment vote occurred for uh, the impeachment of, of President Trump. Has, has that affected you perhaps more uh, in ways um, that then what your, your going independent uh, had, had affected you? Have, have people sort of put on, because obviously um, 
for 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 better or for worse, it was incredibly divisive, and and uh, in a lot of uh, ways, it was incredibly partisan. The way that everything happened. So, have people been upset with you about that, or have people generally been sort of understanding about you know why you did what you did, and, and maybe even wish that they had the courage to do the same thing? Well, among my colleagues, I would say um, early on, I expected maybe one or two or three Republicans. Um, to break, because I heard from a lot of Republicans, frankly, who came to me and said they were concerned about the president and um, and wanted to dig more into it and, and um, wanted to read the Mueller report because they hadn't read it or, or learn more about what was going on with the Ukraine. So I had a lot of colleagues who were doing that, and as time went on, um, that sort of went away, and that's, I think, because the president and Republicans in Congress really tried to ridicule anyone who was willing to look into any of this, and they made it politically prohibitive for um, a lot of people, where um, if, if you were in favor of looking at impeachment, um, they would try to turn people against you, turn your constituents against you, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of them just gave up on the idea and decided to just give in. But it doesn't mean that they um, they necessarily agreed with the president or were um, not concerned about the president's conduct, but they had sort of given up on the idea that it was possible to raise it as an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think there was that shift over time where um, Republicans were open to it and then became less open to it. Mm-hmm. So when when right now the the president is in the news cycles uh, a lot and and right now it's mostly focused on foreign policy issues. Um, you know, obviously it's it's a popular talking point to suggest that uh, the president is a little bit more restrained. Um, on on foreign policy issues than some of his predecessors, which I do believe that is that there is a little bit of truth to that. Um, however, that's not to say that he's necessarily this great non-interventionist. Um, and the big thing that's been going through Congress currently has been the uh, the, the trying to restrain the president's war powers. Um, and predictably, uh, a lot of people sort of fall back into their partisanship rather than going into their principles. Um, what has been the most surprising thing to see from you uh, during this debate about presidential war powers? Because you have a lot of people coming out of the woodworks uh, who have been quiet for the Obama years during his, you know, sort of abuse of uh, executive authority in, in war powers. Um, and now you have also a lot of Republicans who... Um, were railing against the president during the, uh, the Obama years about uh, abuse of executive authority now seem to be rolling over and saying, no, it's not a big deal now that we have Trump and um, it's necessary for the, for the uh, importance of national security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first I would say while the president's rhetoric has been about restraint and ending wars, et cetera, in practice, he hasn't done that. He's, um, escalated wars. There are more troops in the Middle East now than there were when he came into office. There are more drone strikes now. Um, military spending has gone up. Uh, there are threats of war um, left or, left and right. Even even though he, he doesn't always act on it, he's taken, a, obviously, um, 
a few strikes that I think are unconstitutional um, mm-hmm. where, where he overreached. Um, so I, I don't think he's been uh, at all what he said he would be. And uh, he's basically taken the Bush and Obama era war mentality and, and brought it into a new era. And in some ways he's more damaging um, in his approach because he constantly says that he's for ending wars. Uh, you, you'd almost rather have someone who were not being dishonest about it, who were someone who would just say, like, look, I think we should be in these wars, rather than someone who's always telling you that he is ending the wars when he's not actually doing it. I, I think that's actually very damaging to the cause of non-interventionism. Um, so I, I would start with that. But I, I would say the most surprising thing to me, actually, in um, recent weeks was uh, has been that some of the hawkish Democrats who have typically supported um, uh, executive overreach in this area under both Democrats and Republicans have um, changed their tune to some extent. And not all of them, but some of them have. And that's been surprising to me. Um, it's like they finally... Uh, woke up because now they see Trump in office and and they finally woke up and realized that um, there's a real threat of executive overreach and not reclaiming our war powers. I've also been disappointed in some of my colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus and elsewhere who railed against uh, Obama on uh, war powers and overreach and now are pretty silent when it comes to Trump or generally excusing him. Um, one of the common excuses you hear is that, you know, he's got great instincts and he just has bad advisors. And frankly, when you've been in office for three years, you can't keep blaming advisors. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, the president is the one picking these advisors and he has to take responsibility for the actions of advisors or the actions of the executive branch. It's kind of silly after three years to say the executive branch's actions aren't the president's fault. Right. Um, yeah, the chief executive. You know, so he's, he's the chief executive. Executive. Um, so, you know, what's happening out of the executive branch um, has to uh, accrue to the president. You know, it's, it's his responsibility. Mm-hmm. One thing that that really, I guess, took me um, for surprise, not necessarily that it's happening, but just the fact that the president just outright said it as much, um, was that something that you tweeted uh, a few days ago about the president essentially selling troops uh, to to certain countries like Saudi Arabia uh, for their protection rather than uh, for the very specific purpose of national defense, American national defense and national security. Um, have you heard of, of any sort of backlash, uh, even quietly from, from some of your co- uh, colleagues on, uh, on Capitol Hill? Uh, about that particular instance? Because I, I can't imagine that even some of the more hawkish members would be for using U.S. troops for, for the security force of, of the likes of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you'd imagine that. But actually, I've heard very little from my colleagues, um, even from uh, people I trust and, and um, have worked with closely on these issues in recent years. I, I think... Donald Trump has so 
taken over the Republican Party that people are terrified to speak out against him in any way. I mean, you had um, Matt Gates mm-hmm. uh, come out and support the War Powers Resolution, and then he spent a week basically um, praising the president uh, to essentially make up for it. And I think that um, he's one of the rare people who is willing to break from the president, but um, now he's trying to uh, make up for it with uh, these um, these tweets that are, you know, essentially praising the president day after day. Um, and I, I see other colleagues who, if Obama had said, let's... Um, send Saudi Arabia some troops as long as they send us money, um, these colleagues would have been outraged. But under Trump, they're quiet about that. They might um, still bring up, hey, we need to limit executive war action, we need to restore congressional war powers, et cetera, et cetera. But, but when it comes to something like this, they're pretty quiet. And I think the reason is that Trump is such a dominant force in the party now. How much do you think, so obviously, you know, there, there's several different approaches, um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of your colleagues, um, many of whom I think are, are very strong defenders of, uh, of liberty, you know, people like uh, Thomas Massey come to mind, um, who have a slightly different approach, I believe, than uh, the way that, that you've been taking it. What sort of is the balance that you see, the strike of trying to... I guess, stand on your principle, but at the same time, um, be strategic in, in how you, how you approach the president or how you uh, speak, or, or is it even a, a strategy issue? Is it, is it purely a, a principle issue? What, how do you gauge that in, in your opinion? Well, Thomas is a great friend and, um, I think I'll, I'll leave it to him if, if you ever interview him to ask him about, um, his approach to things, but what I would say for myself is that I believe you should always speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that when someone is doing the wrong thing, you need to say it and you need to call it out. And I don't think that um, you know praising Trump insincerely, because I think that does happen a lot in Congress. A lot of colleagues are insincerely praising Trump, knowing that it makes him, um, you know, more malleable. Uh, I don't think that that is a good strategy. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a short-term tactic that's used, but in the long run, it comes back to bite them. If you are uh, for a more restrained um, executive when it comes to war, but you always tout how great President Trump is on war and how restrained he is when actually he's not, all you're doing is um, convincing Republicans at home that this guy is aligned with you and you're giving, you're lending the president your credibility. And then when you have a disagreement with him, you shouldn't be surprised that a lot of your constituents don't trust you over him. Mm-hmm. You've been telling them for uh, you know, months or years that this is the guy to trust, this is the guy to look at, this guy is so great, this guy's got great instincts, and then you want to break with him on something, well, don't be surprised that 
the crowd is going to be with the president and not with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a, there's a collective of Republicans who are saying the president is so great, and you're just one person. So when you break from the president, um, you're going to be in trouble. I think it would have been wiser for Republicans who are um, non-interventionist or worried about uh, executive overreach when it comes to war, it would have been wiser for them to push back on the president more consistently and not to excuse everything as just bad advisors or, um, you know, some misunderstanding or whatever it might be. Uh, I think you have to actually push back on the president himself in order to weaken his support with the public so that you have more leverage to um, press for the right policies. And I understand there are different approaches to this. And like I said, some of my colleagues think that the best approach is just to praise him nonstop because that's how he operates. But I, I think that's not a winning strategy in the long run. This, this president is not a loyal person. Um, he's not interested in whether you were praising him all, all along. He's only interested in whether you were praising him today. Mm-hmm. And... Um, as soon as you break from him, he'll throw you under the bus. Um, and maybe Matt Gates is getting a little bit of that based on some of the comments from the White House. Sure, sure. I think one of the more telling instances that sort of speak to your point about the president, in particular about foreign policy, um, has been when uh, this this past week or so, I believe it's been a long week, so I can't even remember if it's, if it's uh, been this past week. But that um, to me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Iraq essentially tried to vote the our U.S. troop presence in Iraq. Um, the government tried to essentially vote them out. And um, the, the president or the executive branch, if you will, um, essentially said, no, we're, we're not going to, to be doing that, which if like, if there was any instance to where you were going to really stick to your guns and say, you know, I've been against the Iraq war from the very beginning. So let's bring them home. This is the best time to do it. Then, you know, it, you would think it would be now, but it, instead it, it's been taking the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a president who likes to have it both ways. He likes to have um, the non-interventionist types, the more libertarian types, thinking that he's um, for ending endless wars. Um, it gives him also something to beat up the Bush family on, you know, <laughs> going back to George W. Bush, or right. beat up Obama on. Yeah. So it gives him a nice, like, you know, foil so he can go after those people. While at the same time, he wants to convince uh, people like Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio that he's super tough, and he's the toughest guy in the world, and he will blow up anything and kill anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think uh, that's all based on his own um, personal uh, benefit. You know, he, he's looking to how the how the rhetoric benefits him, and he or how the actions benefit him, and not um, on any sort of uh, philosophy or policy that's in um, the interest of the United States. So um, I I am curious, I I don't want to spend the entire time talking about foreign policy. Uh, I am curious, what are some things in uh, Congress that you see that are actual positives uh, for for, uh, liberty and for people's individual freedom that are coming through the word works? I I know recently, um, I guess it's a little bit 
more distant now, but you know the the First Step Act was a really big win uh, for for a lot of people who care about criminal justice reform. Um, are there some more criminal justice efforts? Uh, are there perhaps um, just any number of issues that could be considered a win for um, for anyone who cares about liberty? Uh, because honestly, you know, it's 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 kind of tough work um, being a being a libertarian in, in a world that's constantly working against you. So it's good to hear some good news after after uh, every once in a while. Yeah. So I've been working on a civil asset forfeiture project to try to outlaw civil asset forfeiture um, throughout the country. Um, it's in, I believe it's a constitutional violation, and so I, I think you can even outlaw it in the states. Um, but uh, that's a long-term project, and we've been working on that for a, uh, for a while in my office, and it's, it's more complicated to work through than um, you might imagine because a lot of cross-references and other things in the law. Um, unfortunately, that's another issue where the president has been really bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, he brought in Jeff Sessions, um, who's no longer there, but he brought him in, and they uh, reversed a lot of gains that had been made to protect people's property and protect people's rights. And um, and civil asset forfeiture is now worse under President Trump than it was um, under President Obama, which is a, a real shame, again. Um, I would say that with the... Uh, war issue at the forefront right now, there's some movement on, on war powers. Uh, the Speaker has said that she's interested in repealing the 2002 AUMF. This is the one to go after Saddam Hussein's Iraq regime. Um, there's also a lot of talk among Republicans and Democrats about uh, repealing the 2001 AUMF. The question is, um, what would you replace that with? Uh, because the president has enjoyed a lot of um, authority, whether real or imagined, um, using this 2001 AUMF um, to go after terrorists uh, around the globe. Um, now, the 2001 AUMF is actually just intended for the perpetrators of 9 11. Right. It's very specific. So, yeah, but a lot of a lot of members of Congress and um, successive presidents have decided that it allows the president to go after basically any terrorist, um, regardless of the connection to 9/11. So the the question is, um, what would members of Congress support as a replacement for that? Because a lot of them think that that is still an important function that the president needs authority to go after. Um, transnational terrorism. Um, so that, that's an ongoing debate. If you repeal that 2001 AUMF, what do you replace it with, if anything? Mm-hmm. Um, what would the parameters be and how would it function? Uh, you know, I'm a strong believer that under our Constitution, every um, military engagement needs to be authorized by Congress. In other words, it's not that every strike or every um, specific action within an engagement needs to be authorized, but the engagement itself needs to be authorized. Sure. Um, so if you want to go after a particular um, country or a particular organization, you need to have specific authorization from Congress for that. So I'd like to see something like that to the extent that um, there is any replacement, a debate on something that is very specific. And, um, and of course, any authorization should be time-constrained, um, 
uh, I think two years is a good time limit. That doesn't mean that the troops have to come home after those two years. It just means the Congress has to reconsider it. And they know those two years are going to come up, and they better um, pass something through Congress if they want to uh, keep that authorization in place. A sunset, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we are starting to wind down on time here, but I, I am curious about your personal political career. Um, what is the next uh, step for you? Obviously, you have your reelection campaign um, that, that you're working on right now, uh, which I imagine is, is very time consuming, especially now that um, you're running as an independent. Um, but what do you foresee uh, the future is going to take for you um, in, in the years to come? I don't know um, what will happen in the future. Uh, I do know that um, I'm honored to be representing my district. I'm thrilled to be running for re-election in my district as an independent. I think it will make a big difference to, um, my, to our country, to the people I represent, to have an independent win. Um, I think most people are tired of these two parties and want to see something very different. And um, having an, an independent elected to Congress may pave the way for other people to get elected to Congress as independents. True independents, not independents who necessarily caucus with Republicans or Democrats, but true independents who are there to uphold the Constitution and represent the people of their district. So um, I'm looking forward to that, and that's what I'm focused on. Um, anything beyond that is not uh, really on my mind right now. Um, I think this is an important task. It's an important um, journey, and and um, and I'm working hard at it. And I, I think we're doing great right now um, in the district, and and uh, doing great uh, sending a message throughout the country. Well, I, I think a lot of people really do appreciate, um, you know, the messages that you are sending because it is a a very solid liberty message that is quite rare nowadays. It's it's becoming a little bit more common, a little bit more uh, acceptable, I guess, if you will. But it's still very much in the minority. Um, one one quick question before we let you go: um, Do you prefer Hayek or Mises? <laughs> well. To be fair, I've read more Hayek than I have Mises, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I am a huge Hayek fan. You know, Hayek is sort of how I um, got hooked on uh, libertarian philosophy. You know, I, I've always been uh, a libertarian personally. Like, you know, my my personality is very libertarian since I was a kid. You know, I. I I don't like arbitrary authority, um, but Hayek is the one who really um, got me to think of myself more as a libertarian, like where I was like, yeah, I'm going to call myself a libertarian, and, um, and felt very comfortable doing so. So uh, Hayek's had the bigger influence on my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I, I constantly kind of go back and forth on which one I, I prefer, but I will say that I, I name my dog after Hayek, so that, that should give uh, a little bit of a, <laughs> of a leg up, I think. Um, 
uh, Congressman Amash, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with me and um, allowing my audience the chance to to hear you and and some of the important uh, issues of the day. Uh, where can people find you on on social media if they don't already? Well, you can find me at Justin Amash on on any of the social media. All right. Well, um, we are going to end it there, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much, Caleb. Take care. You too. And that's going to do it for us for this week's edition of the Maliberty Podcast. I want to thank Congressman Amash uh, for taking the time to join us here on the program. Um, It's been something that I've been trying to get in the works for quite some time now, and we finally had our schedules uh, aligned just perfectly. So uh, thanks so much to Congressman Amash for joining us here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the program this week. Please be sure, if you did, to subscribe to us on iTunes. That way you'll never miss an episode or an update. We have so many guests, so many topics uh, to go over in the near future, uh, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Um, Please be sure to also follow me on Twitter, at Caleb France. Check us out uh, on Twitter, at Maliberty for the show, and then for the organization, at Maliberty Org. You can also check us out on Facebook, at The Maliberty Initiative. And uh, as I said, check us out on iTunes. And then if you really want to uh, step up your support and really um, help the program grow as quickly as possible, please be sure to check us out on Patreon as well. Um, we will be back here next Thursday. Like I said today, we're, we're, we're back on a, a regular schedule, so we'll have episodes out each and every Thursday, and I hope you join us along for the ride. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon.